The Holy Gospel according to John, the 8th chapter. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. This is the gospel of our Lord. Please be seated. In the name of Jesus, amen. Well, dear saints, it sounds as though a 16th century Lutheran wrote these words from the book of Roman. But they were actually penned by the Apostle Paul and inspired by the Holy Spirit in the first century. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. There is no mingling of the two. Justification, God regarding a person as good, as righteous, as holy, does not happen because once one has faith, you add works. No, it's faith alone. Works have nothing to do with justification It is a gift from God, initiated by his grace, received by faith in Christ's work on the cross, and attributed to believers apart from any work or merit other than that of Christ. Christ alone. And the satisfaction for sins is justification. And that was done On the cross, it does not depend upon the actions of sinners like you and me. Indeed, when we confess justification through faith alone, we are saying, in effect, that when God looks at us poor sinners, he sees Christ. He sees Christ alone who died for such sinners. Those same sinners are now credited with the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And thus, they are saints in the truest sense of the word. They are saints by God's doing, by God's grace. Grace alone to the glory of God alone, not theirs. And this... This is the basis for the events that started some 500 years ago when a stocky German monk with a love for beer and an 
even greater love of God's word, scripture alone, took a 10-minute walk from his cloister to the castle church in Wittenberg, Germany. And on to this insignificant church door, he nailed the 95 Thesis, a list of teachings and practices within the church that he wanted to discuss and address. He'd come to believe on the basis of Scripture alone that there was some problems with the way that the church was doing business. And Martin Luther only wanted to speak the truth of God's word. So he asked the church to engage in a conversation about the truth. Luther couldn't have dreamed of the stink this thesis was going to create. The whole of Europe ended up in an uproar. Excommunication followed for Luther and others. There was even a bounty placed on his head, and princes and knights hunted him down like a common criminal, all because he dared to speak the truth. The medieval church had strayed a long way from the teachings of Christ, and by 1517, their power and wealth depended on their man-made version of the truth. They'd come to believe that people had the ability and the means to earn their own salvation. That eternal life could be secured by doing good deeds, works, such as paying money to the church, indulgences. Luther had lived with this teaching all of his life. He did more good works than you or I can even imagine. And yet, he still knew his heart, in his heart that he didn't match up to God's demands, to God's commandments. As he studied God's teachings and the teachings of Jesus, he came to realize that the church had distorted the truth and that salvation was supposed to be the gift of a gracious God, not a reward for our good deeds. But as he reminded the church of the truth, he discovered that not everybody wants to hear the truth. And nothing much has changed, has it? Do you remember that famous line by Jack Nicholson in the courtroom scene in the movie, A Few Good Men? I kind of wish I still fit into my Marine Corps service alphas because it would add to this scene right here. He was in the witness stand and the lawyer, Tom Cruise, demanded he speaks the truth. And Nicholson screams, you want the truth? You can't handle the truth. And that become a powerful line in movie history because it speaks to our desire to only hear those things that we are comfortable with. Those things that don't challenge us too much. It's like that proverbial question. Does my backside look big in this? It's not really a question that wants the truth, is it? It's a question that seeks an answer to 
comfort us and to encourage us. If the truth is something that comforts, it confronts and rebukes us more than likely, we won't want to hear it. But Jesus makes it clear in today's reading that the truth is vitally important, but not just someone's own version of the truth, their relative truth. We will know the truth, he says, when we hold to his teachings. In other words, if we stop and listen to what Jesus teaches, he will reveal the truth to us and it will set us free. And the question remains, do we want to hear the truth? In the Middle Ages, the Roman church certainly didn't want to want the truth of Jesus' teaching because they were so committed to their own distorted version of religious truth, a version that filled their coffers, their offering trays, and kept people under their control. And today, most people don't want to know the truth of Jesus' teaching either because it challenges our comfortable lives and reveals the reality of the struggles that we suppress deep down inside. If the truth first challenges us and forces us to rethink what's real and what's important before it sets us free, perhaps we'd be more comfortable just remaining enslaved to the lives to the lies that we've bought into. Central to the Reformation and to Jesus' teaching is the fact that we are born sinful and unclean and cannot save ourselves. No exceptions. Regardless of how good a life that we seem to lead, All of us fall short of God's expectations. We are sinners. And this is the truth. But when we see a beautiful, innocent little baby, well, we find ourselves challenged by this. How can he or she be a sinner? How can they need forgiveness And such were the questions that the Roman church had allowed to shape their thinking and practices to such an extent that they believed that we could cooperate with God in saving ourselves. A little bit of money here, an act of charity and love there would make up for our lapses into our bad behaviors, our sins. But how much money would be enough How many good deeds would make things right? The end result was that nobody could be certain about their forgiveness. Consciences were enslaved to a never-ending treadmill of good deeds, and Jesus' teachings became obscured behind a wall of falsehood. Jesus' teachings reveal the truth. And one of the key things it reveals is that we are dead to sin. From the newborn baby to the convicted criminal to the gentle old grandma. 
In big and in small ways, we rebel against the will and ways of God, not just in our actions, but in our thoughts, in our words, and in our deeds as well. We tend to think that we're not that bad, that our sins are not as serious as others, but Jesus' teachings proclaim that all sins have the same consequence. They separate us from God and leave us as good as dead. Now I ask you, can a dead man bring himself back to life? Of course not. And whether we are an infant or an adult, if we have inherited our sinful condition and are dead in sin, there is nothing that we can do to bring ourselves back to life. Nothing that we can do to free ourselves from the sin and death. Resurrection, new life, freedom from sin and everlasting death have to be a gift from God. God alone. Unfortunately, many people hear the beginning of Jesus's teachings. They hear the truth about sin, but they don't hang around long enough to hear the whole picture, the bigger story. Because just as the word reveals our helplessness, our sinful condition, it also reveals our help in the person of Jesus Christ. And that is the gospel, the good news for you. The truth of God does not leave us enslaved to sin and death. It shows us the only way out, the only way through, not by our own efforts or our own comprehension, but by the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ, who loved us enough to allow himself to be sacrificed in punishment for our sins. We are presented with so many different interpretations and versions of the truth. Everyone puts their own spin on things to try to tell their version, relative truth. And we're tempted to pick and choose what suits us, what makes us comfortable, what allows us to do what we want and what provides us with the least amount of challenges. May our will be done. But in those moments of quiet, when the rush of the world stops, there's always that nagging sense of conscience that makes us uneasy when we've molded our own version of the truth and it haunts us. It's into this discomfort that Jesus speaks today offering you his teachings, offering you the truth that reveals the depth of your sin on the one hand and the magnificence of God's forgiving love on the other. There's no fudging things here. There's no making excuses. He sees the way things truly are. He owns up to the truth that terrifies the daylights out of you and me. 
And he acts in water and in word, in bread and wine, in flesh and in blood to set us free from sin, death and the devil. And because he offers us this free and undeserved gift of forgiveness in all in Jesus's name. Dear saints, it is customary for us to utilize these scriptures from the Gospel of John on Reformation Sunday. Our lectionary, the church calendar, allows for two gospel readings on this date, one for Reformation and the other for the 23rd Sunday after Pentecost when it doesn't fall on Reformation Sunday. And as I prepared for the sermon this week, it took great discernment in determining where to lay focus. The Reformation readings were where we have been led. But please allow me to include Mark's gospel here from chapter 12. One of the scribes came up and heard Jesus and the Sadducees disputing with one another and seeing that Jesus answered them well, asked him, which commandment is the most important of all? And Jesus answered, The most important is here, O Israel. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind and with all of your strength. The second is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said to him, you are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one and there is no other besides him. And to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding and with all the strength and to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all who burnt offerings and sacrifices. You see, Knowledge of the law, of the commandments, well, it's not su sufficient for our own salvation. Confirmands may memorize the catechism, but never again darken the doors of this sanctuary after confirmation. It is one thing to quote the greatest commandment. It is something entirely different to live a life of this love, to fear, love, and trust in God above all things, and to love your neighbor as yourself. What is it to love God, but to keep his commandments? And what is the work that God wants us to do, but to believe in the one whom he sent? The scribe had memorized the law, the commandments, but not having faith in God's Christ remained outside of the kingdom. And we must be careful, careful in our own doing of the commandments of God. We each do to varying degrees of excellence. However, we must strive to fulfill one commandment putting first things first, the most critical commandment, 
with equal quality to fear, love, and trust in God above all things. First things first. First Lutheran Church. Even in the absence of having kept the last nine, we may all keep this first commandment. Faith in God is more critical than our own personal perfection. Believing in the Christ that God sent, keeping our eyes fixed on him, fixed on the cross, even when we have not kept them fixed on all of his commandments, keeps our attention off of ourselves. No, we can't perfectly love God as the greatest commandment bids us to do, nor can we be blameless, but we can trust the one who is not only blameless, but is love itself. So why do we celebrate the Reformation? Well, it's because you and I and the world that we live in desperately needs this good news, the gospel, just as much as the people of Luther's day did. We need to be constantly reminded of God's saving love in Christ, of our sinfulness and of the Lord's mercy, of our helplessness and of the Lord's promise to rescue us. Luther's 95 thesis nailed to that church door in Wittenberg aimed to do one thing, to get the church to remember where our help lies, to open people's eyes once again to the source of all freedom, to deliver the comfort of the gospel to people in the pews so that they could rest easy knowing that Jesus had done everything to secure their salvation. And we need to be reminded that Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And that when on the cross, when he proclaimed, it is finished, he meant it. In that moment, your salvation was secured. You are saved. Truly, truly, amen, amen. No more payment required. So dear Lord, keep us and our hearts in your word that we may know the truth and the truth will set us free according to scripture alone, through faith alone, by grace alone, in Christ alone, to the glory of God alone. All of this for you. And may this give you peace. The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding. May it guard your hearts and your minds through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.